Amen. Be turning to Acts 19 this morning. We're going to get back into Acts and try to, to get uh, Acts finished here in the next few weeks. And um, had an interesting question this morning. Does the devil know your name? Very interesting story this morning that we're going to share with you. And several things here that are very, uh, I don't know, I just love studying this chapter this morning. Paul is in, in Ephesus, which is a, a big city, over 300,000 people. Um, he's on his third missionary journey. Let me kind of review with you. Be thinking about that. Does the devil know your name? You know, we, we always want God to know our name, but uh, here this morning we're going to find where the devil asks, uh, I don't know who you are. And so that, that may say something about how much we're doing for the Lord or not doing for the Lord. But here real quickly, it was the first missionary journey, and it was in Acts 13, 14. And he left, you remember his home base is Antioch, and he traveled over through Cyprus and through the islands there, back up through Iconium and the other Antioch, Lystra, Derby. Next screen there, we got the second missionary journey, and it was in chapters 15 through 18. And uh, this is kind of a, a bigger map where you could see the names, but names you'll recognize kind of from Bible books. Uh, you see Corinth there, that's where we get First and Second Corinthians from, that was the letters to that church. And that's what these journeys were for, the second, third journey, was to go back and visit these churches, to encourage them, to help disciple them more, to make sure that they were staying close to the faith. And that's why we see in Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, those kind of books in the New Testament, those were encouraging those churches, and in turn, here we are 2,000 years later, and they're encouraging our church today. We read Deuteronomy the other night that was written in 14, 1406 B.C., and we talked about, that's 3,400 years ago, but yet as we read through the pages of Deuteronomy the other night, we could see practically, practical applications for our own life here in 2015. So it's an amazing book, the way God has inspired the Word of God. But he went back and encouraged these churches. You see Ephesus there on the right. Philippi, that's where we get the book Philippians from. Ephesus, where we get the book Ephesians from. And then the next screen, Russell, the third missionary journey is where we're at this morning in chapters 18 through 21. And he's going back through once again, encouraging the people, growing the, the churches. But this time, he's going to spend an awful lot of time at Ephesus. Matter of fact, he's going to spend three years in Ephesus, longest he spent anywhere in Paul's missionary journeys, the longest he stayed anywhere in any one city. And there was a very good reason for that, I think. As I said earlier, Ephesus was a big port city. It was 300,000 people. There was all kind of things going on here. It was a very beautiful city. Um, and there was a place called the Temple of Diana in this, this city. It was uh, over 400 feet long. That's longer than a football field. It was 200 feet wide. That's wider than a football field. It had 100 columns that were 50 foot tall around this whole building. Have you ever seen a picture of the Parthenon? Or if you ever been to that place in Nashville where it looks like the Parthenon? That it looked like that on a grander scale. And it became one of the seven wonders of the world. And people were journeying from all over the world to come to this place. The only problem is, is they were worshiping a false idol. It was to the goddess Diana. They felt that she had fell from the sky. And most people nowadays believe it was probably a meteorite that they had in the middle of this place, that they were worshiping this stone that was uh, a meteorite to the goddess Diana. Of course, Di Diana was a fertility goddess, and there was a lot of things that goes along with that, and there was actually prostitutes in this temple and all kind of things. So you can see how perverted, how perverse that they had taken God's word and had taken just mankind in, in general and had had warped him and had warped everything that God wanted. So I think that's why as Paul looked around this amazing city, he said this city needs Jesus. 
And I think we can look across America today and say, these cities need Jesus. Individual needs Jesus, amen, as we look at that today. So that's why I think he had such a heart for Ephesus and such a heart for the Ephesians there. And, um, and it was a, a very interesting time uh, there in, in this, this journey, this third journey of Paul. Look there with me in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 1, and let's begin to read. While Apollos was in Corinth, and if you'll read right before that in 18, you'll understand about Apollos, uh, and you'll see uh, Priscilla and Aquila leading Apollos to know more about Jesus. And he became a great disciple, a great follower, a great teacher for God. And so, so while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, which means when he went through the interior, he had to go through some very hilly country, some very hard terrain, a very hard travel. Remember, we're not talking about the age of airplanes or even vehicles. They're walking, they're riding donkeys. Uh, that, that makes this trip much more amazing to me. As we looked at these maps, we kind of look at a small map and we go, well, they're just real close together. But these cities would have been hundreds of miles apart, uh, 50 miles apart. And if you think that you can only walk, what, I don't know, you, what's the average walking? Maybe six miles a day is all you can walk in a day. This wasn't something where you just ran over here and ran over there. This took a concerted effort. And you can tell the Holy Spirit was doing wonderful things. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit was moving Paul to do wonderful things. There he found some disciples and asked him, Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we're going we're gonna to uncover, uncover some things in this that are still taught today in some churches. And, and I, I just wanted to, to take time to clarify here what he's saying. And let's read that one more time. He said, then he found some disciples, talking about Paul, and he asked them, did you, ever, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, the amazing thing here is that they were called disciples, um, and they were trying to follow the Lord. But it says here in verse 3, three Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? If you've not been baptized by the Holy Spirit, what, where is your baptism? Well, here's their answer. John's baptized, baptism, they replied, and they're talking about John the Baptist. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. Now, as we look at these men, we realized, and Paul realized, that there wasn't an evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And guys, the number one, the number one evidence that you are, that you belong to Jesus is there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not, not so much that you jump around and jump up and down and all that, but you are directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. You have a discernment for people. You have a new heart for people. You have a care and a compassion for others as Christ did. You, you want to read His Word. You want to pray. You want to see others come to know Christ as Savior. And all these things. How are, you know, we talked about last week with the Beatitudes and how we control ourselves, how we control our temper, how we control the, our thought process and having that pure heart and all those things we talked about last week. Guys, when the, when the Holy Spirit is there in your life, there's evidence of that. And I would say this, and I'm not trying to make anybody doubt this morning, but, but check your soul, check your salvation. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Just, just praying a prayer and getting dunked in the water does not necessarily mean you're saved. And here these men had been, they'd been baptized. 
But, but, they, but he asked them, whose baptism have you received? And they, they said, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a great man. And he was a forebearer of Jesus. He said, there's one coming that I can't even tie his shoes, all right? Said, I, and he's going to bring, he's going to baptize. I baptize with water, John said, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John was baptizing on the other side of the cross, all right? Think about it a minute. Jesus said, come. He baptized Jesus. But what he was doing, it was a baptism under repentance, it says. And what they were saying is that I'm going to repent of myself and I am going to look forward to a Messiah that is coming. Now, the Messiah has not come yet. On that side of the cross, remember where John's baptizing. John is baptizing on that side of the cross. We, afterward, Christ gave his life. He died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He was put into a grave. Third day, he rose again. Now, after 40 days, he ascended to the Father, and he sits at the right hand of the Father today. Now, when we are baptized, when we give our heart to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is given to us at that moment, we'll talk about that some more in a minute, it is given to us at that moment, but then our baptism is from the cross of Calvary. And so it makes it in the right order to believe, to receive the Holy Spirit when we believe, and then we are baptized to show that we have the Lord in our life. John was baptizing, saying, I'm looking forward to the Messiah. These were baptizing all through Acts. They were baptizing, saying, Jesus was the Messiah. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And guys, if you were baptized, and then later you realize that I didn't really understand that, or that was when I was little, or, or I didn't really have the Lord at that time, but now I'm saved, and I've given my heart to Jesus, and you've not been saved on this side of your salvation experience, or baptized on this side of your salvation experience, you need to re- be rebaptized. All right? You need to be baptized on the right side of the cross. Does that make sense this morning? On the right side of the cross. On that side, yes, John's baptism was of the Lord. Yes, John's baptism, but it was showing the people that I'm going to do away with myself and I'm going to look forward to a Messiah that's coming. John was of the Old Testament. John, even he's in the New Testament, he was still working under the Old Testament laws, the Old Testament covenant. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, he began the new covenant of his blood. Remember when we take the Lord's Supper? This is the new covenant of my blood. And so that takes us from there. And now we're all being baptized on this side of the cross because we believe in Jesus Christ. And he has saved us. And we are given evidence of that to the world through our baptism, the death and burial, the death of our old self and the resurrection of our new self to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. So that's what is going on here this morning. And that's where he said, look, there's not evidence in your life. And there's another verse that we need to remember. Unless the Holy Spirit draws you, you cannot be saved. So there's no way that these men could say that I'm a believer and there not be evidence of their heart that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. So there's a whole lot going on here and a whole lot to think about as John and, and I mean, as Paul is dealing with these folks. And there's, there's a lot to, that, that Paul had such discernment, such, such able, so, so close to God, he could look at these men and realize something was not quite right. Now, it's not because they didn't want to be. What was their answer there? We don't even know. He says, no, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So there's no way they could be gods. They'd not even heard of This was just something they haven't heard of. And so Paul sits down and gives them the plan of salvation. That's exactly what he did. Now, Luke doesn't write all that, but he began to sit down and tell them all that had happened, and they come to know Christ. How do we know that? 
Look there on farther down. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to be believe, to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, here again we see a different set of circumstances than what we've seen in Acts 10. Acts 10, when God led the Gentiles to Christ, it was this, this way. They believed in Christ. Now, every one of these is the same. First of all, you believe in Christ. They received the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized. Here we see a different way. Here they believed in Christ. They were baptized. And then Paul laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, how come it doesn't happen that way today? Well, as we look at this, I think, and as we look through Acts, and it all makes sense as we put it together, every time there was a major watershed moment, God would use a different, a, 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 big, a big bold way, a big way of seeing it with your own eyes so that the unity of the church would be there. These guys were going to be 12 men, guys, that Paul was going to leave behind, and they were going to continue revival in the city of Ephesus. They were going to be major players, as we would say, in leading people to Christ. And we'll see a little later in chapter here that, that the, whole, the whole country became, and they all understood who Jesus was. Now, they're not saying everyone believed, but before Paul and these disciples left, everyone in that area knew who Jesus was. That's a pretty amazing fact. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about, that they shared the gospel with everyone around that area. Everyone knew. That didn't mean everyone believed, but everyone knew the truth. And that's what we're asked to do, is to share the truth. God brings salvation. And also people have to want to be saved, all right? And so he's laying his hands on these men in front of these people so that they see that he is of the same spirit, the same God as the church in Jerusalem, as the church in Samaritan. Remember when he laid his hand on the Samaritans? And he wants these people to understand that they are one family in God. And so that's why he uses a different approach here. Now, uh, some people will say, well, this is the way we are to do it today. We are to get the Holy Spirit after we get saved, and we are to speak in tongues, so that shows that we're saved. Let me show you a couple verses, just so you'll know the clarity on that. And these are not up here, Russell, so you'll have to flip along in your Bible. First of all, turn over to Ephesians 1, 13. Go back, just go to your right, just a couple books, and you'll find Ephesians. Go through Corinthians and Galatians and there, and come to Ephesians, and look at 1, verse 13 and 14. Verse 1, 13 and 14. It says, and he's, he's writing this, this back to the Ephesians, all right? So he's not starting something new here by the way he handled these disciples. He just wanted everyone to know that the church is unified. It's, it's one God, it's Jesus Christ, and no way else. But listen to this as he writes this letter back to the church of Ephesus. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What he's saying is when you believed, when you heard the gospel, that Jesus died, rose again, offers you eternal life, when you heard the gospel, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. What's the seal? The promised Holy Spirit. So the minute you believed, 
The Holy Spirit come into your life. You got the Holy Spirit. It was a down payment to what was to come, to what we'll experience someday with being with Jesus. It's going to be that way. And so he's trying to show them that, look, upon the minute that you're saved, and it's this way in 2015, the minute you give your heart to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment. It's a seal to show that you're his. And then there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me show you one other verse. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Go back just a book or two. 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read you another thing. Here's the thing that people think that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. All right? Speaking in tongues in, in Acts, in most places in Acts, was where they could understand what was going on. It was, it was, it was a language. There, on the day of Pentecost, there was people around there from everywhere. People from all kind of walks of life. All kind of languages. And this event was so huge and so big that when the Holy Spirit came down and it flowed through the place like a mighty rushing wind, the Bible said, that God wanted these people to understand exactly what was going on. So when Peter got up and spoke, every man heard him in their own language so there would be no doubt what was going on. All right? Now, speaking in tongues when you're filled with the Spirit is a gift. Now, does that happen today? I think it does in some instances. I'll be honest with you. But if, if, if it's, it is not, it is not a mark that I'm saved and you're not. And let me show you why. Look in 1 Corinthians 12 and look starting in verse 28. Not again up here, Russell. Verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? And the answer there would be no. All right. He's saying, are all apostles? We're not all apostles in here this morning. No. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's no apostles because an apostle, to be defined as apostle, you had to see the risen Lord, all right? Uh, so that he's not an apostle. Paul seen the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. That's what made Paul different than the others, all right? So, no. Are all prophets? No. Are we all teachers this morning? No, all right? It says, do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire these greatest gifts. Now, if, if speaking in tongues was necessary to be saved, why would he write in here that we can't all do it? We all don't have that gift. All right, does that make sense? We don't have that gift. Is it a gift? Yes. Does the Bible just say we should strive after those gifts? Yes. But guys, it is not evidence. And just because these men, these 12 men in Ephesus, spoke in tongues that day, I believe it goes back to just what we've seen in, at the day of Pentecost. Every God wanted people to know what was going on. He wanted these men to know what was going on. He wanted anyone that was around him to know what was going on. And these men raised up and were mighty preachers, you might say, or mighty spokesmen for God in the city of Ephesus. And they let everyone in that city, in that area, know who the mighty Jesus Christ was. And so this was a big moment. This was almost like an ordination service to me as I look at these men being sent out. And so I think this is, this is deep. This is big. But you can see where people pick these things and pick those things and say, this is the way we are to do it, or this is the way we are to do it. Guys, listen to me. Anytime you believe and you read God's Word, Please look at it in its entirety and not just in a verse or two. Because as you read it and it puts it together, the Bible will never contradict itself. 
It may look different here than it does here. There may be a different eyewitness account than there was here. But the Bible will never contradict itself. What is the majority of what it says is what always it says. And you have to follow that. Nowhere else in the rest of the book of Acts does anyone speak in tongues. All right? And again, I'm not saying that people don't speak in tongues today. I'm not saying that miracles aren't performed today. But I'm just saying that in order to say, if you don't do these things here, one, two, three, four, five, you don't belong to Christ, is wrong. Because it's saying that I'm better than you, or I'm on a higher plane than you. The only thing that we can say, guys, is this. Jesus said, if you believe on me, if you, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever does that, whoever gives their heart to him, whoever hears the Holy Spirit drawing him and says yes, and gives his heart to Jesus, the Bible says he will be saved. And I'm not going to go, I'm not going to add anything onto that. I'm not going to try to tack 12 more things onto that to get you saved. I believe Jesus said, if you call upon my name, you will be saved. Period. Period. Amen? And that's what it says. That's what it says. Now, another thing you notice real quick, and, and me and Carla talk about this all the time, but it says that they were baptized in Jesus' name. Now, if you look at the Great Commission, it says baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? What they were saying here was, we're not baptizing in John's way anymore. We're baptizing in the Lord's way. And that's why it was just the way Luke kind of condensed it and said, now they were baptized in Jesus. And if you're baptizing Jesus, you're baptizing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because they are the triune being. And that's why we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a lot of things there to t think about, a lot of things to talk about as we looked at that. And I love studying that and watching all that fit together as that goes there. When Paul, verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. And so we see the unifying of the church in Jerusalem. We see the approval by the apostles. And also, I think, they wanted to see that Paul was an apostle just like Peter, and they didn't want to get into this arguing, well, I was touched by Peter, or I was touched by Paul, and, and Paul laid his hands on me. No, Peter laid his hands on me. And you can see where they start... We argue about everything, amen? We're good at arguing about anything. And so God wanted them people to see the difference there. He wanted them to see that these men are of God, and it doesn't really matter who lays their hands on you. It's where the Holy Spirit comes from, and that's from God, and that's the main thing, that you know Him as Savior. And so that's, it's, it's big stuff here as we look at this. Let's continue on real quickly. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. That's amazing that they would allow him just to continue to speak for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, they was very intellectual people in this area, very smart book-wise, we would say nowadays, and he would, he would argue with them, he would reason with them, he would take them through what Jesus had done, and, and he would take the scriptures and he would explain to them, and he did that for many, many weeks. But some of them became obstinate, they refused to believe, and publicly maligned the way. Now, there's always a time where it's almost like everybody that's going to hear at that time is going to hear, and then everybody else just wants you to get out of here and leave me alone. And so what Paul did is he took these 12 men, these 12 disciples that he had just baptized not, you know, three months ago, and he said, if I continue in this way, they're going to get confused. So he took them and really kind of started a seminary, you might say. Let's read a little further. So Paul left. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Think about that. 
He took these men, took them to a school, so to speak. He probably borrowed a place. These men, and I like this schedule they were on, but the people of Ephesus were really good about taking a break from 11 to 4 o'clock. That would be a good work day, wouldn't it? From every day from 11 to 4, we take a break, all right? Um, and so that's what they would do. And so while the schools and the, the thinkers were out taking their siestas, they would go in there and have school, and he would lead them through a seminary, and they began to teach them. And the great, the great effect of that was there at the end, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard about the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That they would spread the word of God like that. And just from these 12 men, 12 men can make a difference. A church our size can make a difference. Sometimes we think we're just 100, 150 people in a little county in Arkansas. But guys, I'm telling you, we can make a difference for Jesus Christ, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Let's go on a little bit further. God, verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even, listen to this, so even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Now, here's another thing that gets kind of confused today. People that think they're miracle workers, all right? Now, first of all, let me start by saying this. Do I think Jesus still does miracles? God does miracles? You better believe it. We've seen people healed. We've seen God do miraculous things. But I want you to think about this with me just real quickly this morning. There's three great times in the Bible that miracles were very evident. First of all was in Moses' day. You remember all the miracles that we've seen during the, the, uh, the release of the Israelites out of Egypt. Then there's a couple prophets called Elisha and Elijah. And they did some wonderful miracles. You remember old Elijah on top of Mount Carmel? That's one of Dana's favorite stories. And he calls down fire and all that. And then the other part was when Jesus and his apostles showed miracles, all right? Now, if you add all these up, there's less than 100 miracles in the whole Bible. Now, I, I believe this also. I don't believe that every miracle ever occurred is in the Bible, all right? So there was more than that. But I think sometimes we get caught up on miracles and miracle workers, and we get caught up on prayer cloths and things. And, and I see that guys would take this right here and say, oh, if I have a handkerchief and I pray over it and I send it to someone and they pray over it, then it might heal somebody. That handkerchief had nothing to do with healing that person. Jesus Christ healed that person, not that handkerchief, all right? So don't put your faith and trust in those things. But here, there was such an occult, there was such a, an evil way, and we're going to see here in just a minute where they call demons out and things, but there was such a way that, that God, God wanted the people to know this was from God. He didn't want any doubt. He wanted people to know, first of all, that Paul was from God, and then he wanted them to know that, that look, this is something way bigger than even Paul. This is, this is way bigger, and he wanted the people to know that you don't have to go to a sorcerer or, a, or you know, some temptress or, or you know, all these occults that were going on, witchcraft and sorcery. All this was going on in the city of Ephesus, and it was big time. It was big time business. And God wanted to shake up this city. He wanted to let them know that there's more power. There's no power in these people. They're taking your money and running. Isn't it amazing that's still happening today, that people are taking people's money in the name of God? and making a profit for themselves, Guys, listen to me. Just put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't put your faith in a TV preacher or even this preacher, all right? I can't get you anywhere. I can tell you about Jesus, but only Jesus can say. And so be careful. Be careful what you do, all right? If you've got money to give, give it here, all right? You give it somewhere that people can use it. Be careful with what you're doing there, all right? That's just, that's just free. That didn't cost you nothing, all right? But here we see, but, but God wanted them to know. He wanted them to know what was going on. 
And so he allowed things from Paul to touch people, and, and they allowed aprons and handkerchiefs to touch people and heal them. This is not common, Stan. You haven't, you haven't seen this anywhere else much in the Bible. This was just something God used for this time. Usually when God does miracles, when Jesus allowed miracles, there were three reasons he was looking at. First of all, to show people he had compassion. Second of all, he wanted to teach them some spiritual truth. And third, he wanted to show them he was Messiah. And that's what we're seeing here. He's wanting the people to know there is a true Messiah. There is someone that loves you more than anybody else. And it was an amazing, amazing thing. Now, real quickly, our last story, and then we'll close. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. I just think this is the neatest story, guys. This is, this, this is the part that I started with. Does the devil know your name? Now, remember, the occult was big. People are going around trying to drive out demons. They're, hey, for a demon, for a, for a dollar, I'll drive a demon out. And remember, back in those days, they thought if you were sick, you had a demon, all right? So if somebody was sick, they'd come up to your house. Hey, I heard you're sick. I know you probably got a demon in your house. For 1995, I'll drive him out, and, uh, you know, it, it'll all be well, you know? So these guys were going, and they were doing it in all kind of names, and, you know, all kind of, you know, they'd put on a big show for you and everything. Said Jesus, uh, it said some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, I think they were seeing that Paul was having such success. They go, hey, look, if Paul is doing big things and people know Paul, maybe we'll use his name and let's throw in the name of his God too. And that might impress them all that much more. Well, they had a little surprise coming this day. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva and a Jewish chief priest were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. <laughs> you imagine how big their eyes got when they said for the spirit to come out. He said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm here. I just love this, all right? And the, answers, the spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. Listen to their question they ask him. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Isn't it amazing that even the demons know if you belong to Jesus or not? And, and, and God took this crazy thing, this really thing evoked by the devil, and used it to win people to Christ. But just think about it a minute. In the name of the Lord Jesus of Paul, come out. You talking to me? He said, I know Jesus. And I know Paul, but who are you? Guys, listen to me. I wonder when we pray sometimes if there's not somebody saying, I know Jesus, but who are you? Guys, we need to be careful that we don't just take it for granted that we belong to the Lord. We need to know. We need to have evidence of the Holy Spirit. We need to know who he is. Because, guys, if you're like me, I want my prayers to be answered, don't you? I want him to hear my prayers. But also, guys, we must remember that we are in an ever-ending, never-ending war. The Bible says we don't wrestle with each other. Sometimes we think we're arguing with each other. But that's really not us arguing with each other. It's invoked by the spirits. The other night we were coming home, we had Abby and Riley and Maddie in the back seat. We'd bring them home from ball game. Something come up about angels and demons, and our de they, demons aren't real, are they? You know, man. Danny said, "Yeah, they're real, and their eyes got that big around." 
You know, sometimes we've seen so much Hollywood and so much exorcist movies and Freddy Krueger movies that we just don't think that this is a real battle. And guys, I'm telling you, we're in a fight for our life. But you know what's so wonderful about it? Is that when we're gods, he fights for us. Right now, there's, there's battles. The Bible tells us that we can't see them, but there's battles going on, good versus evil, God's angels versus the devil's angels, and they're fighting. We read about it over in Daniel, where there was such a fight that he said, I wanted to get to you quicker, but there was a fight going on. I, I, couldn't, keep, I couldn't quit fighting that angel because if I, if I quit fighting that, de- that demon, what God wanted to happen wouldn't have happened. Sometimes we wonder why our prayers are not answered in five minutes. And sometimes it's because spiritual warfare is going on. And I don't mean to spook you or or, or creep you out this morning, but guys, this is real Bible stuff. This is what's going on, and and we laugh at it a lot. And I laughed at this story this morning, but guys, this is serious stuff. And I think this is one of the main reasons we don't need to think we're exorcists and try to pray out demons and all those kind of things, because guys, this is serious stuff. And when you go to fight the devil, you better have the power of God by your side or you ain't got a chance. And the old country saying, you don't have a chance. And we've just kind of played with it and toyed with it. We play with God and toy with God. And guys, it's serious. These guys were playing the game. In the name of Jesus, Lord Paul. And man, they got, they got called out. Let me show you what else happened. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Man, is that really in the Bible, Brother Todd? We just read it. The demon said, you're you're a phony. You know why we know they're a phony? Because they took a beating. I believe if the power of God would have really been in them, the power of God would have overcome that, I believe. And he would have stood up and fight for them. But that... That demon come out and that man, he overpowered that man and that man came and just, he just whooped the tar out of him as we'd say in Old South, Old South talking. He beat him up bad. He tore their clothes off. And guys, the word spread. Let me show you what happened real quick. We got to close. Verse 17, I'll read to the end. When this became known to Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. They realized we better quit playing games. This is real deal. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. This is all the sorcerers. God turns a demon appearance around and people come to know him as Savior. It's amazing to me. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I read here this would be about 50 men's whole year wages. Guys, all of a sudden, their pocketbook didn't matter. Getting right with Jesus mattered. And son, they was afraid they might be the next one beaten up and tore their clothes off of. Guys, sometimes I believe we need more fear of God like that. We believe we can just kind of come in and out of this thing. We can believe we can kind of serve God and not serve God. We can believe we can do things of the world and not do things of the world. And I'm talking about me too. But guys, I'm telling you, we need to fear God. It's not, oh, I'm scared like he's the boogeyman, but we need to have a respect that we serve a holy God that doesn't smile on sin. We serve a holy God that frowns and 
He di- costing his son his life. He died for our sins. And guys, we are to respect and we are to hate sin and we are to fear God. Son, fear seized these people. They realized this was a holy war. And they realized they didn't have a chance without Jesus Christ. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem and passing through Macedonia and Caia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome. And it just talks about him going on. But guys, that, that instance, that, this showdown, so to speak, it changed the whole city. People that were of the occult and sorcerers and people that were black magic and all those things, they came up and brought their occult books and, and burned them and got rid of them. They said, I don't even want this in my house. I just wonder, is there things in your house and my house right now that needs to be burned? You think there's things in our house today that don't glorify God? And I'm not talking about, well, Brother Todd, my couch don't glorify. I'm not talking about that. I'm thinking about things that cause you not to, not to follow God. Things that take your heart to be not pure. Things that take your eyes to look at things that you shouldn't see. Are there things in our house that we need to burn? And have fear for the Lord? Boy, guys, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of power in these verses. When you think about what's going on here, I think it reali- we realize that God doesn't play. And when you go say in his name, guys, listen to me. We all pray in his name every day. But when you say his name, you need to make sure your heart's right. I need to make sure my heart's right. Because we are calling on the most high God. We're calling on the most high, holy God there is. The only God. The one true God. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The ones that knows our thoughts. The ones that's brought us through all these things that we've been through. The one that there is power in the blood. The one that's died on no rugged cross. That's the God we're talking to. It should never be in flippant manner. Or God, you need to listen to me. Or God, let me bargain with you. If you'll do this, I'll do that. Don't you bargain with God. You listen to God. And you ask him for his will to be done. Just as his son prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Guys, there needs to be an awe. There needs to be a fear of the one holy God. And it opened up my eyes as I read that this week. God doesn't play. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are just in awe of you. Lord, we feel when we, when we see things like you want us to see them, we, Lord, we know that instantly. Lord, we feel your power. Lord, I thank you for just opening my eyes to these great scriptures this week. Lord, thank you for moving in that city of Ephesus so, so many years ago. And Lord, changing that whole town, using 12 men to to win him the Christ. Lord, I pray for us today that we would not treat your name lightly. Lord, that we would fear you, a healthy, respectful fear. And Lord, that we would believe in you as Savior and Lord. Lord, speak to us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Just for a minute, with heads bowed, eyes closed, Maybe there's something that you need to burn in your life figuratively. Maybe there's something in your heart. Maybe there's something that won't leave you alone. Maybe something you flirt with. 
playing with sin. Maybe you need to burn that to the Lord this morning. Right there in your pew, you can do that. Maybe you want to come give your heart to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you don't have evidence of the Spirit in your life. We'd love to tell you the story of Jesus. Whatever God lays on your heart this morning, you listen as the music plays. You